I've been looking forward to this all week. Um, I am sad to say that excitement has not um, perhaps affected my behavior in the way that, you know, often it should, because this is truly the crowning moment of the week, you know, the, the few moments that we gather together as a congregation and try to worship God in some small way. You know, and it strikes, we're told in Scripture that the angels desire to look into the things that we participated in this morning. And the, I believe the reason for that is, is when you read about angels in the book of Revelation, their worship is quite spectacular, to say the least. You know, they're hovering about the throne continually, although there's no you know, reference, frame of, reference frame of time in heaven. They're hovered about him for all eternity. They're continually singing, holy, holy, holy. You know, they're covering their faces and their feet in the presence of his glory. And so when we gather together here this morning, it looks a little bit different than a congregation of angels gathered together to worship God as we often feel like we should. We're not quite angels yet. You know, you can look at me and tell that because if I was an angel or if I was perfect, I certainly would not be, again, 5'9", you know, about 155 pounds soaking wet. You know, I'd be strong. I would be large. I would be even, I would be the peak of physical condition. You know, I'm sure Adam was quite a figure of a man because he had not been tainted by sin. But we're not angels gathered together here this morning. So the angels look at our worship and I'm sure they often wonder, how in the world does this please God? Look at what we do. We're holy. We're exalted. You know, we're exalting our goodness and perfection. And we go about our heavenly duties for all eternity, as far back as we can imagine and as far forward as we can imagine. And we praise God in this very transcendent and miraculous way. And so I'm sure they would hover about the church building and they would look at what we're doing this morning and they would wonder, how is that supposed to please God? Well, you know, I ask myself that question because I don't understand why God, what Scripture would tell us that the Lord looks upon this when we do it in the appropriate attitude and is pleased with it. But I'm thankful to be here this morning. And I'd like to draw your attention to 1 John chapter 4. We'll examine a verse of Scripture, the first verse of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4. Now as you're turning there, we'll talk about the book of 1 John for a few moments. And as many of you know, maybe having children or having younger siblings or nieces or nephews or cousins or whatever that may be, children are very, very fascinating. They're very, very fascinating to me because I don't, I don't fully understand, you know, the behavior of a child. You know, I have a younger sister who astounds me every time that I interact with her because on the one hand, she will say something utterly profound that will leave me speechless. And I wonder... Where did that come from? You know, where within her limited spectrum of, you know, food and play and, you know, interaction with other children, where did that come from? You know, and then on the other hand, she will be so gullible and have so little knowledge. And that's the reason that John continues to refer to the people to whom he is writing as little children. Because we, in many ways, as disciples of Christ, are little children. But simultaneously, while we were able to come together and worship, while we have been granted with you know, spiritual insight, we've been saved by the power of Jesus Christ's blood and regeneration through the Holy Spirit, we are also very gullible and very dependent 
upon Christ. And this is one passage of Scripture where John reminds the little children to whom he is writing of something that they need to remember. And he tells them some very simple things. One thing he says is, repeatedly, is love one another. Could there be any more basic of a principle to just say, my little children, love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. He tells them, you have a propitiation through Jesus Christ. That is to say, the shed blood of Jesus Christ has atoned for your sins. That is a basic doctrinal principle that I hope we all understand. That as children of God, who oftentimes quake in fear of the pending consequences of your sins, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you have ever looked at yourself and you have seen in the mirror a hopeless sinner, one who is wrecked and ruined, who has no hope apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, He has saved you. Because were it not for His blood, were it not for the saving power of His grace, you would feel no conviction over sins. You would be dead in your affliction. You would be dead in this gripping power that laid hold upon us when Adam fell in the garden. And so John reminds the people to whom he is writing of one more basic principle in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 1. Beloved, Another common word that he uses to refer to these same people. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now think about this with me for a moment. Children or children have to be taught, you know, the difference many times between what is dangerous and you know what is safe you know they're very gullible in that way sometimes you know we've coined strange we've coined phrases like stranger danger you know it's a it's a phrase that rolls off the tongue that's supposed to teach children you don't run up to everybody that you see like they are your best friend because sometimes they're not you know i was not a very extroverted child i was not someone that would have run up to every person on the street to find out what their name was you know, if they had any children or if they had any pets, you know, but I have some siblings that are very extroverted. Whenever they see someone that they take interest in for some random reason, they will try to walk up to them and talk to them and find out more about them. And that's a positive trait. But one thing that often has to be taught is realize that there are people in the world that aren't necessarily always your friend. And John is reminding his little children Little children, remember to use discernment to decide and differentiate between the spirits of the world and the Spirit of God. Why is this important? Because especially during this uh, socio-politically charged time in which John was writing, you know, there's a lot of religious turmoil that's going on during this time. And there were literally hundreds of, of subgroups which broke off from Christianity itself to begin their own religions. And so what would happen is these false prophets would be indoctrinated by one of these religious groups and they would come back to a church that Paul had founded and they would go in and they would immerse themselves in the community and they would become part of the church. Perhaps they might even be ordained as a minister and then suddenly they would strip off you know, their sheep's clothing and reveal themselves as the wolves that they were and begin to teach false doctrine. 
And so Paul's reminding the people to whom he is writing, Beloved, don't believe all these spirits or influences that you may encounter. Because especially at this time, there were a lot of false prophets that the church was dealing with. There's a few other, there's a verse of scripture that I'll read in your hearing this morning, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, that says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring unto themselves the spirit of destruction. So at this, Peter was also writing to the churches that he addressed his letter to. And he also reminds them, remember, especially in these times, there will be false teachers that will come among you teaching heresies. And they may even be people that show forth fruit of the Spirit that the Lord has quickened through the power of His Holy Spirit and whom He died for on the cross. People that the Lord bought. But they may be temporarily deceived into believing a false doctrine. And so both Peter and John, they're exhorting the church, don't go about as innocent little children thinking that everyone that you encounter you know, has something beneficial for you to you know, ingest and to think about. Some of these people are trying to deceive you. And first, Tim, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 saying the same thing. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils. Because John has already clarified to these little children that they are in the last times. They are in the latter age. He says to them, even now there are many antichrists whereby ye know that it is the last time. So he says you're in the latter age. This is the age that will culminate in the second return of Jesus Christ. And while you were in this time, remember that there are false teachers moving amongst you who would seek to convince you that what you believe is false. And we could ask the legitimate question, well, how does this apply to us this morning? You know, we're not present during these, you know, monumental, historically monumental times. You know, several thousand years down the road. I would say that we're still in the latter age, the latter times that will culminate in the second return of Jesus Christ. But, you know, a false prophet is not only an individual which comes teaching heretical doctrine. Because the reason that he, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Why does he differentiate between spirits and prophets? Why does he not just say, Beloved, believe not every false prophet, but try the false prophets to see whether they are of God because many of them have gone out into the world. No, because he wants to make the distinction that there are many corrupting influences other than that of a, doctrine, of a doctrinally false prophet. And that's where we can begin to apply the principle that he is teaching in a more general sense. Because at, we may, it may be very hard for some of us to fall prey to false doctrine. We may be grounded in the Scriptures. 
We may have spent our whole lives in the church and praise God have sat under sound preaching for many, many years. You may be a systematic theologian, so to speak, but there are many corrupting influences, you know, beyond that of a doctrinally of a doctrinally incorrect prophet. Because there are a lot of influences other than that of a prophet. But yet at the same time, although they're not preachers, maybe they're not prophets, you know, maybe they maybe they don't have maybe they haven't been to seminary, you know, maybe they're not even in anything related to ministry. There are many influences which still preach and still desire to deceive those that are gullible. You know, and there are many, many positive things about having an attitude of, chi- of the attitude of a child. Jesus encourages that throughout the, throughout the Gospels. And he brings the children into his close circle of fellowship And we read that he used children as an example on multiple occasions. And he said to his disciples, adopt the attitude of this small child. Because we need to realize that we are dependent upon God as the creator. He inspires us with breath, firmly believe that it is the word of his power, which keeps this earth, which is in the grand scheme of things, ordered relatively orderly. You know, we have laws of nature. We have things that keep us from either freezing to death or from falling into a vast pit of fire. Many of those margins are very, very small. And if you read Scripture, Scripture teaches that the Lord controls those and He has the power over those. He is the one that continues to uphold creation by the word of His power. Now, that's not to say that He predetermines everything that you do. That is a misconception and an inappropriate interpretation of eternal predestination. We understand that God did not predestinate sin. If we are to remain consistent with our understanding of His character and with our understanding of what sin is and how it's in opposition to God's character, we have to realize that God granted man with the ability to make a conscious decision either to obey His law or to disobey it. And he clearly told him what the consequences would be if he disobeyed. And Adam chose to disobey. And we continue to choose to disobey because of our sinful nature. And even if you woke up one morning and you said, I'm going to not sin. I'm going to get up this morning and I'm to go about my day as an utterly perfect person. For me, that is going to last about five minutes because I'm going to hear my alarm go off. And it's going to jar me out of a deep, restful, and peaceful sleep. And I'm immediately going to think, why in the world do I have to get up this morning? In a complete spirit of ingratitude. So when we examine, you know, when we examine this passage, we have to realize that it's important to acknowledge our dependence upon Christ. It's important to realize that, praise God, He orchestrated creation. And it still operates according to the order which He established. But we also have to realize that we need to be as harmless as doves, but yet as wise as serpents, as we're told elsewhere. Because the corrupting influences that we come across on a daily basis can deceive us very, very quickly. I'm speaking to myself. I'll be frank with you all here this morning. I feel like a hypocrite talking about this. Because I can think about various times in the week 
where I was encountered with one of these influences and it exerted its control upon me as a person and upon my personal weaknesses and it corrupted my, my thought process or maybe even my actions. Because those influences are so strong. And there are so many platforms, you know, whether it's the media, whether it's some other form of you know, rhetoric that you're, you're reading, maybe in a magazine or in a book, maybe you're watching TV, maybe you're scrolling through social media, maybe you're listening to music, maybe you're just trying to decide who you're going to spend your time around. So many things that can influence us in an inappropriate way. And all of those things are false prophets. They are all spirits which exert their influence upon us. And we have to make an effort on a daily basis to shake those and realize that they are false. They are like those false prophets which came before the New Testament church and desired to deceive them and teach them things like, well, maybe Christ was never really raised from the dead. I know Paul is a you know apostle, one who had you know that very direct encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus came teaching that Christ died and he rose again. But are you all sure about that? Are you sure that's really what happened? And the same thing happens. You know, and Paul, he, he says, little children. My little children, my beloved little children. Remember that if any man sin, he hath an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's a propitiation for our sins. My little children. Love one another. My little children, be, don't be fearful. My little children, don't be deceived by these false prophets. Is there anything a, a small children struggle with other than fear? There are some crippling fears that I genuinely did struggle with as a very small child. Ironically, one of those was the fear of the dark. And there are many times that I would wake up during the night. And, you know, because of the... You know, the grogginess of, of sleep because I had been awakened suddenly. I would imagine there was something in the room with me that was going to hurt me. There was some kind of monster. Or there was some man or woman that I was not familiar with. Or there was someone that was going to drag me out of my bed and out of my house. And that terrified me. And as a, because we still deal with those same things because we're still little children. As flawed human beings, when we subject ourselves to a state of dependence in Christ, there are a series of things that we are going to struggle with. And one of those is going to be fear. Because we have to realize that you know, your own rationale and your own strength is not sufficient to cast out fear. And that's why John tells the little children to whom he is writing, perfect love casts out fear. Because these sequence of ideas that he talks to them about loving one another. If you love one another and you love God, you'll be able to cast out fear. And if you remember that there are many false prophets who desire to exert their corrupting influence on the minds of anyone who's gullible enough to believe them, you can continue in that path without being deceived. I truly believe, although it may be fraught with hardships, and sacrifices, and sometimes some temporary pain, you know, that's a path to a life of self-fulfillment and, and happiness. As we go out this week in closing, you know, maybe, maybe you have children 
in your lives in a very direct way. Maybe you have children. Maybe you have grandchildren or great-grandchildren or, again, nieces or nephews or cousins. Think about the attitude of the little child. Perhaps go read First John. And then one thing that's interesting to do is observe the behaviors in, in children themselves. Their dependence upon you know, their source of sustenance. They depend upon that. And because they realize they depend upon that, they love the person that provides for them. And when they truly love the person that provides for them, it is not a burden to follow them in obedience. You notice that obedience and love is a reasonable service. It's not something that we suffer to do. I assert to you this morning that when we come to a full understanding of what Christ has done for us, when we realize that He truly has saved us by grace, and we truly fix our hearts and minds upon Him, the only thing that we will want to do on a daily basis is to follow Him in servitude and discipleship and read His Word and follow Him in obedience. Because it is a joyful path. It is a joyful life. Yes, there will be sacrifices. There will be moments of pain. There will be times when we will doubt. And we will come to moments of indecision. But the, the assurance of Christ's grace, you know, fellowship with the saints, singing, attending the worship of the Lord, that is a way that our strength can be bolstered. It's been a great blessing to be with you here this morning. Excited to see you all. Hope to get to speak to you more after service. Love you all.